You're listening to the Vision Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are taking a closer look at the core values we are seeking to build in our community in Louisville. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in and see what the Lord has for us. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you've given us to bring us to this point in the worship service. Thank you for such a powerful worship experience that we got to experience as we sung this gospel that proclaims hope. A gospel that reminds us that one day everybody that is in the grave um, who has placed their faith and trust in you will rise. And that we will inhabit a, a new city the new Jerusalem, and we will live in perfect peace and harmony just as you created us to live. And so, Father, I pray even as we worship today that we will worship in light of that day. I pray as we receive this vision today, Father God, that you will allow us to hear it in light of that day. I pray that you will minister to the person who has come in heavy burden, that you will capture their attention uh, with and through your word uh, so that they can grow to be uh, more mature disciples for you. So speak, Lord. For your servants are listening. In the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Well, this morning and throughout the day, we've been casting vision, just talking about what, what does it mean for us as a church to, to have a vision and to go uh, with that vision in the same direction. And so before we talk about vision, I just want to share with you our mission statement. A mission statement essentially uh, answers the question, uh, why do we exist? And our mission statement comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. It is to reach people with the gospel, uh, to build them up as the church, and to send them into the world. And about a year and a half ago, we uh, built on that mission, which is to reach, to build, and to send by articulating uh, our core values. Those values that we as, as pastors and members and leaders spent a lot of time saying, what are our core values? And you can see on the screen those six core values that, that we believe best uh, capture who we are as a church. Well, if a mission statement answers the question why we exist. A vision statement essentially answers the question where are we going. Uh, a vision statement is a, a picture of what could be and a conviction that it must be. And the reason why a vision statement is important is threefold for us in this season. One is because it's, I believe, will give us unity and help us to unite around one clear vision and one clear direction. We're a church uh, that is made up of a lot of diversity and with people from uh, a lot of backgrounds who are faithfully following Jesus. Well, a clear vision helps us all to move in the same direction. But also, it brings us clarity. Uh, where there is a lack of clarity, there will be uh, anxiety and even apathy. So we want to cast a vision before you to help lower our anxiety so we'll be able to answer the question where we're headed as a church, as well as to hopefully help us not to be apathetic and just cruise through our, 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 our Christian lives. And then finally, it helps with accountability. By having a clearly articulated vision, uh, we are able to hold each other accountable. The members are able to hold uh, pastors accountable as we look at the state of our church, and pastors are able to, to better hold and encourage members into a direction. 
So the vision that I'm about to share is not a vision I came up with in a room by myself. It's a vision that had a lot of hands on it, a lot of staff, a lot of elders, uh, even, even consultants came in and listened to uh, our hearts and learned our story to help us to articulate clearly where we feel we need to go. And not only is it a vision that has been prayed over and, and worked over and worked through by, by many, but it's also a vision that we want to communicate in a short, pithy sentence. So today I'm going to give you the short, pithy sentence, which is going to kind of summarize where we're headed and how we're focusing our attention uh, for the next three years as a church. Um, and then for the next four weeks, we're going to unpack that short sentence. We're going to unpack it and show you our kind of our strategy and, and the way in which we want to go. And so you guys are like, come with the sentence already. I hear you. All right. And here's our, our, our vision sentence that we're going to unpack, and I'll give you an overview today, and we'll spend the next three weeks on. It's simple. Our vision is to fill up our city with gritty disciple makers. Our vision is to fill up our city with gritty disciple makers. So let's break that sentence down, and let's start with this first phrase, which is to fill up our city. Uh, one thing I love about our church is that we have people that uh, travel from all over Louisville uh, that come uh, to our services. Uh, today I met with a, a family after one of our services who said that they travel an hour on Sunday and, uh, to come and to be a part of our family, and that is beautiful. Uh, we want to be a church that is uh, called where people from all over the city of Louisville feel called uh, to uh, this expression of, of the Christian faith and the, the direction that we're going, where they can come and bring their time, their talents, and their treasure to this body so that we can fill up our city uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we also want to be a church that is helping to equip our members um, to, to live on mission where they are where they live, where they work, and where they play. And as a pastor, that is one of my burdens, to help you to, to be on mission for Jesus, to be a, a Christian where you live, work, and play. And so we have this vision to fill up our city with these type of disciples that we're going to talk about today, where people meet people from Sojourn Community Church, and they have a certain DNA about them. But we also want to be a city that is helping our members, a church that's helping our members to serve where they're not. And when I say to serve where they're not, I mean to serve this community here at Shelby Park, um, as well as to, to serve in international missions or wherever the Lord is calling. Um, I've said it once and I'll continue to say it. We want to be a church that uh, does not build a church on top of a community, but we want to be a church that is within our community. We want to be a church that if we were to close the doors of our church, our community would weep. Even people who don't even belong to our church because they know that we live an incarnational life and that we love them. And so we want to be uh, disciples who are, are faithful to Jesus where we are as well as where we are not. And we want to fill our city up in that way. And so for the next, next week, we're going to talk about what this looks like. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, envision uh, how this looks for each of our members in, in manageable, realistic ways. But we have this vision to fill up our city, um, and we believe that it's a, it's a biblical vision. Uh, one of my favorite verses uh, of the Old Testament is from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 5 through 7. And here's what it reads. 
Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on his behalf, for when it thrives, you thrive. And so this is the Lord speaking to Israel, who is in captivity in Babylon. And the first four verses of this chapter talks about how Nebuchadnezzar came and he took Israel away into captivity. And while they were away in captivity because of their disobedience against the Lord as the people of God. And while they're away, there are false prophets who's telling them, hey, y'all are only going to be there for two, three years. Just for a few years, don't get comfortable. God is going to deliver you. And Jeremiah is like, man, y'all are prophet lying. Y'all are not prophesying. That is not what God says. In fact, God says that you guys are going to be there for 70 years. And this is uh, God's call to them. While you are in exile exile for your disobedience, um, seek the good of the city. Live in such a way that your life causes the city to flourish. And we went through the book of Daniel uh, this summer, and we talked about the life of Daniel, how Daniel was one of those uh, persons who was from elite class in Israel who worked through the political system while staying faithful to God, and he worked for the flourishing of Babylon. And in the same way, God has called us, and especially members of Sojourn Community Church, to be rooted, to be and to live for the flourishing of our city. To be sojourners and pilgrims. To unpack our bags. I remember when I was uh, just graduated from college. Went to Michigan State University in Lansing, Michigan. And the Lord had called me to uh, pursue further ministry. And I was headed down to New Orleans to go to New Orleans uh, a Baptist Seminary. And then uh, Katrina hit around that time. So I had to redirect. And the closest thing to, uh, to my family that was similar to New Orleans was here in Louisville. Uh, so I came uh, here to go to seminary. But just before I arrived, I remember calling the admissions department and uh, asking them, how long will it take for me to matriculate through your master's degree program? And I remember them telling me that the average student takes five years to go through the program. And I laughed out loud on the phone. My, my arrogant behind laughed and said, oh, I'll do it in three. And eight years later, I graduated, right? <laughs> so so I, I remember this call, and I remember like this hustling, grinding, working multiple jobs. I worked at a suit store selling suits uh, for uh, 25 to 30 hours a week. I worked on staff at a church for about 20 hours a week. Um, I was uh, dating my, my now wife at the time, and I was engaged to her. And my goal was to get through seminary as quick as I can to head back to Chicago. Because I had a dream of opening up a nonprofit back in the city where I grew up in order to reach uh, young men who were like many of my friends. Young men who were caught up in gang culture, uh, young men who were often hopeless. My house was kind of the neighborhood hangout. My father was a father to a lot of my friends. And so I had determined in my mind that my life was laid out. I was going to start a nonprofit, which I did. I was going to head back to Chicago as quick as I can, and I was going to kind of pour out my, my, my heart and my life into this area of the city. I didn't really pray about it. I didn't really ask the Lord what he thought, but this was my plan. This was what I was going to do. And I'll never forget one day I received a call from my spiritual mother 
um, who uh, was who discipled me when I was at Michigan State University. She was my math teacher and also ran an on-campus Bible study. And in the middle of the day, she gave me a call and she said, son, I feel like the, the Lord gave me a word for you. And I said, okay, mama, what is it? She said, I feel like the, the Lord impressed upon my heart to tell you to unpack your bags. And I said, I'm sorry, what'd you say? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, she definitely here from the Lord, right? <laughs> because I'm headed to Chicago. She said, no, unpack your bags. The Lord wants to use you right where you were. All right. And I remember going back to my dorm room later on that evening and being absolutely exhausted. The work had caught up with me from school, had uh, tests and papers that were due. And I remember laying out on the floor of my dorm and just praying with my hands open and saying, Lord, I surrender to you whatever you want for my life. And I began to metaphorically uh, just kind of unpack my bags and embrace where God had me instead of looking to the next thing in my life. And after that, it's like something just broke. The Lord began uh, to, to, to just open doors for me and, and, to, and to, to guide me in ways that I did not expect that my life would go, but in ways that I know that he, he has directed me. And many of us in here, we, we may be living in Louisville as a, as a permanent resident. Um, we may have our mindset on getting somewhere else, but I think God's message to all of his disciples always is, unpack your bags. Be where you are and bloom where you are planted. Live with open hands, not as a tourist, but as a pilgrim. See, a tourist seeks to live and to simply escape life. A pilgrim embraces life where they are. A tourist is living to be entertained. A, 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 a pilgrim is, is living with a sense of wonder and awe, knowing that it is not a mistake that they are where they are. A tourist is living with an attitude to consume and to commodify, while pilgrims are living with an attitude that is captivated and seeking to cultivate beauty where they are. A tourist is embracing ease and excess, while a pilgrim is embracing wholehearted flourishing. A tourist is constantly taking for themselves, while pilgrims are, are surrendering their lives to God, saying, not my will, but your will. If you are living in the city of Louisville as a consumer, simply to take and to be entertained and not as a servant seeking to give and to help the people around you flourish, God is telling you like he told the children of Israel to slow down, to cultivate beauty, and to see that I am, I am with you where you are. And here at Sojourn, we want to be a people who value place. A people who, who value their neighbors. A people who values their co-workers. A people who values their church. A people who wants to be a, a, a part of something that is bigger than them. A people who know that Jesus did not come to this earth and use up the earth for his own uh, resources, but he came to serve it and to give back to it and to give back to people and to leave it better than when he came. And second, not only do we want to fill up our city, but we want to fill up our cities with, in a specific way. We want to fill up our cities with gritty disciples. Now let me break down this word gritty. Because this is a word that's going to throw some of y'all. Some of y'all are like, you know what, I am not gritty. Good, I got a definition for you. 
and it comes from the Oxford Dictionary, all right? So this should speak to you because it's from the Oxford Di Dictionary. <laughs> Y'all so silly. To be gritty means to show courage and determination to continue doing something difficult or unpleasant. It's simply to show courage or determination to continue doing something that is difficult and unpleasant. And if you're not an Oxford Dictionary type of person, I've got the Urban Dictionary for you too, all right? According to the Urban Dictionary, to be gritty means to be rough and unrefined, as in film depictions that portray life as it truly is without false distortions, stylizations, and idealization. Angela Duckworth, in her excellent uh, TED talk on, on what it means to, to live with, with grit, defines grit as, as passion and perseverance towards a long-term goal. It's having stamina. Listen, I want to be a, a part of a church where the members of that church are resilient, courageous, real, humble, and sacrificial. And God has called us all to embrace the Christian life. And the Christian life is, is, is one of grit. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let them be gritty. Doesn't say let them, let them come and live this pretty life. No, let them be gritty. Let them deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. Jesus embraces us into a life of following him and a life of following him while it is filled with joy and peace and love and mercy. It is also filled and calls for grit, a stick to itness, a stamina, a perseverance, a courage. God is calling us as a church to be a church that is, is all in. It's not afraid to get dirt under our nails. If you're a part of this church, God is calling you to put, put skin in the game. Not to be a consumer, but one who wants to be filled by the Spirit and to contribute, contribute knowing that you are God's poema. You are his workmanship, according to, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are his poem to the world. He has created you in Christ Jesus and ordained for you to do good works from the very beginning. And if he's called you to be a part of this local church, he's called you to be equipped for the work of your ministry and to persevere in that. And we do this. Because we recognize that God saved us from the grind through a gritty Savior. We do this ministry of grit, recognizing that we once were dead in our trespasses and sin, but Jesus Christ put on human flesh. The God of this universe became a baby. He was born as a poor Middle Eastern Jew to a poor family in a town called Nazareth. And he lived a lit a life of grit to save us from our grind so that we would not come under the wrath of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might be justified by faith alone through grace alone. Grit isn't simply, grit is a person. It's Jesus. It's a person who walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. It's the person who got, got dirt in his nails as a carpenter. 
It's the one who took a basin and a bowl and who washed his disciples' feet. It's the one who said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's the one who said that the, the greatest amongst you is not the one who has servants and who tells servants to come or to go, but the one who serves. God is calling all of us to be great. But Pastor Jamal, I live in the burbs, burbs. Well, penthouses need gritty Christians just like trap houses need gritty Christians. Because there's grime in every society and every culture. It just looks different. Some just hide it better than others. God is calling us to be gritty just like the early church in the book of Acts was gritty. Grinding, growing, pushing back darkness, telling their oppressors that, that we will not stop speaking the name of Jesus. Let's be, let's be gritty. But not only is God calling us to fill up our city and to be gritty disciples, God is calling us to be disciple makers. God is calling us to be disciple makers. A disciple maker, according to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, is a person who is, is teaching people to follow Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and to fish for people. And every disciple of Jesus is called to be a disciple maker. Every disciple of Jesus is called to share their God-given resources with other people so that they may come to know Jesus. And for some of us right now, this is, uh, at, at this moment of sermon, we start to sink in our seats a little bit because we feel a little bit overwhelmed. Because when we hear the word disciple, perhaps this person that you met in high school or college who was the, a leader of your discipleship group comes to matter. And they were charismatic. They always had the right thing to say. They read their Bible like four hours a day. You're like, I could never be that person. That's not who God is calling you to be. God is calling you to be you as you pursue him. And to trust that he can use you um, in the way that he's gifted you, in the way that he's made you. It looks different for all of us. But God has called us to press into that. And as a pastor, part of our call and part of what we've been doing for this next uh, rest of the series is, is helping you to know that there are pathways in which we want to share with you to help to equip you to be a disciple. To equip you to be faithful to Jesus at work. To equip you to be faithful to Jesus in your neighborhood. To, to equip you to go into to grocery stores and, and hangouts. To, to where you play with a, a gospel uh, boldness and, 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 and Jesus centrality that helps other people to want to know him. And so a lot of times when we see this, we think of these, these big pictures of, of people who are just great people um, in our mind. Uh, but God can use us in the ordinary ways. Last week, I was getting ready to, uh, uh, to come up and to announce our, our speaker we, that we had preached last week. And I did something I normally don't do on a phone service. My phone buzzed, and I looked, and I had a text from an old uh, boss of mine uh, when I first came here that I, I worked at. And my boss was very, very philosophical, very intelligent. And I remember uh, working with, alongside him uh, as a 24-year-old when I first moved to the city and seeing that he just was lost and, and didn't know Jesus. And I, I never really knew how to approach him because he was so clever and always had a comeback. So I felt like the Lord was just telling me just to simply ask him thought-provoking questions 
about his faith and about God and about creation. And so every day I would come into work and I would just think of two or three questions to keep asking questions. And that's what I did. I just asked him questions every day. And he would simply give me answers. And as I said in service yes, uh, last week, I got a text message from him. I hadn't heard from him in years. And he said, Jamal, I want you to know that I became a Christian a few years ago. And I was thinking about you. I go to church every Sunday. God used those questions that you asked me to bring me back to church and to commit to the faith. There's been plenty of examples of me feeling overwhelmed, wanting to be a faithful discipleship, coming to the Lord like that little boy with two fish and five loaves, saying, God, this is all I have. Will you multiply? And that's what God is inviting you to into the vision of Midtown. Is simply to bring yourself to the table and to say, I want to be a part of this church. I want to fill this city up. I'm going to be gritty and I'm going to come with all of my brokenness, all of my overwhelmness, and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust the Lord. If you feel overwhelmed right now at this point in the vision, praise the Lord. The talk is working. <laughs> because whenever the Lord gives the people a vision, it's always bigger than the person receiving. When God came to Adam and Eve in the garden, he told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. I'm sure they felt overwhelmed. When God came to Abram and Sarai and said that you are about to have a, a child at 100 and, and also 90 years old, even though she had been barren, and that your seed will be as numerous as the stars, I'm sure they felt overwhelmed. When God came to Moses and said, Moses, I, I, I want to free uh, my people and your people, and I need you to go to Pharaoh, the most uh, powerful man in all the earth, and tell him that God said, let my people go. I'm sure he felt overwhelmed. When God came to Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah, I'm calling you to rebuild build these walls, I'm sure he felt overwhelmed. When God came to Esther, I'm sure she felt overwhelmed. God is in the business of giving his people a God-sized dream in order to make them dependent upon him to fulfill it. So what I want you to do right now is not allow Satan to overwhelm you with fear, with guilt, or with shame. And I want to encourage you to, to put the word should away. Because many of us at this point in service are thinking, I should be doing better. I should be a better disciple. I should be a better evangelist. I should be a better co-worker. I should be a more missional. Put the word should away. Stop shitting on yourself, okay? Don't shit on yourself. And embrace what God is doing in this moment by inviting you into a deeper relationship with him along with the other members of your church. So here's four ways on how we're going to do this. One is going to be by the grace of God. We're not going to shit on ourselves. We're not going to white knuckle it and say we're going to be these great disciples and we're going to rah, 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 go and do it on our own strength. No, we're going to pursue God's, God in his grace. We're going to remember that salvation is by grace, that sanctification is by grace, and that making disciples is by grace. It's by God's unmerited favor. Two, we're going to pursue this vision with humility, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Three, we're going to do this with a dependence on God's word. Everything in his vision is going to come from God's word. It's not going to be pragmatism or man's wisdom. Each week when you come here, we're going to look at God's word, and we're going to show why we're pursuing this vision from the word. Fourth, we're not going to do this as long ranges, but we're going to do this in community together. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and the latter part of it later on in the series. And we're going to see how the early church was a church of grit and a church of, of mission and how they built their lives around God's word and fellowshipping together and how God did great things. And we're going to do it together. So if you're not in the community group, if you're not connected in this church, we want to invite you that now is a great time for you to get connected so that you can help us to pursue this and to do it together. The fifth, we're going to do it with a persistent posture of prayer. It's going to call for all of us to be prayerful. And our, our reason for doing this is not so that we can be glorified or so that sojourn can be gone, but so that God can be glorified. Uh, we want to do this for God's glory. Psalm chapter 115, verse 1 says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. All that we do, we want to do for the glory of God. We want to do in order to show the world his intrinsic beauty. It's not to beautify God. God is already beautiful, but it's to show the beauty of the world to the world. It's to magnify his name. But we also want to pursue this vision together for our formation. God is committed to conforming us to the image of Christ and conforming us as a church to the image of Christ. And what often ends up happening in a Christian life, if we don't have a clear vision on where we want to go, we will become passive Christians. And passive Christians become apathetic Christians. And apathetic Christians get beat up by Satan. And they eventually become Christians who become and live pathetic Christian lives. Lives not of victory, but lives of, of overwhelming apathy and consumerism. And we don't want to pursue that. We want to pursue wholeness by being active in our pursuit of Jesus. Third, we do this to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 says, go and make disciples. That is his, the game plan for the church. That's the play that he drew up for the church. And either we're running that play by his grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are, 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 are pleasing him or we're not as a church. A church that fails to make disciples is a church that is failing to be faithful to Jesus. And so we want to give it our best shot to we want to give it our best shot together. And the fourth, we want to do this as a, as a model for the world to see. And again, not to see us, but to see God. We want to let our light so shine that men may see our good works and glorify our God in heaven. It is a, a, a joy and an honor to pastor this church. Um, and I, I, I love it. I love what the Lord has done here, um, but I, I fear that we have become and will become complacent if we, don't, if we don't see the urgency of what God has called us to. And if we don't see a stewardship of what God has given us. By God's grace, uh, we have uh, been able to, to be a church that is modeled well 
for the Christian community some, some really important things. And I want to make sure that we steward the things that the Lord has allowed us to model well for the sake of others. Uh, God has allowed us to be the second uh, best or second most successful sending church uh, within our denomination. Uh, one of the most missional denominations in the world, meaning that we have the number two amount of missionaries in, uh, internationally. And I want to continue that rich history of, of international and domestic missions. And that's only going to happen is if we're clear on our vision. The Lord has given us a rich history of music and, and mercy and, and care and, and the children's ministry here. And I want to make sure that we are continuing to strive for and not resting on what we have done in the past. That we're moving the needle forward. And that we together as a church says, Satan, we are not going to cruise into heaven. We're going to crash into heaven together. I don't want to be a part of a, a movement that is on a cruise ship. I want to be a part of a movement that is on a, on a jet saying, let's crash into heaven as we enter heaven. Let's say to the world, oh, what a ride. What a ride. Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I in return did my best in community through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God to give my best for you. Not to prove myself to you and not out of guilt, shame, or condemnation, but out of your love that fueled me forward. What a ride. I used the gifts that you gave me to the best of my ability for your glory. What a ride. I use my voice, my hands, my, my intellect to please you. What a ride. I, I, I didn't give, give much. I don't feel like I was the most talented person, but I showed up for you and for your church and for your mission. What a ride. I didn't have a lot of money and, and millions of dollars, but the few dimes you gave me, I, I, I used it to, to, to push your kingdom forward, knowing that, that, that my treasure was stored up in heaven. What a ride. Why ride? Let's crash into heaven together, church. Let's fill up the city. Let's be gritty disciples and disciple makers so that we, and we enter into that great celestial city and we see the glory of Jesus and we stand before his throne with billions of other people. We can say, Jesus, you are more beautiful than I ever imagined and I'm glad by the grace of God in my weakness that I gave you So I want to I wanna actually encourage us to do something that's going to make us a little uncomfortable tonight. Um, but that's my job. <laughs> to make you uncomfortable so that you can, you can and we can together experience the Holy Spirit who is our comforter. Uh, Johnny and our uh, music team is going to come and play some soft music for a few minutes for us. And I actually want us to spend this time in prayer and to huddle up in groups. You don't have to pray in that group. You can just sit and be quiet. Uh, there's no, no shame uh, to that. I totally understand not wanting to pray outward. It's not about uh, what we say. But I just want us, if you're a, a member, you want to participate, to just huddle up and let's just pray. We've got two things on your bulletin, in your bulletin, that I want us to pray for. And this isn't just a, a mindless exercise. This is your pastor admitting to you that I so desperately Five years from now, I want to be able to say that the Lord fulfilled this in our midst. 
But I am desperately in need for Jesus to give me wisdom and strength and faith to believe that it can be done. And so I want us to spend a few minutes in prayer together, praying that the Lord will fulfill this vision. And so um, if you guys can just, just turn your attention to prayer together, we'll huddle up. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.